our scripture reading, I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I'll begin reading at verse 17 to verse 32. We're going to be focusing our attention this evening on verse 28. That will constitute our sermon text. But to get some context, we're going to read verse 17 to verse 32. Let us now hear God's word. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him, and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Thus far the reading of God's word. At this time I invite you to congregation to turn in the Forms and Prayers book to page 249. Two hundred forty-nine, Lord's Day 42, this evening's sermon is entitled, God Forbids All Forms of Theft, and we're looking at carefully this evening at the Eighth Commandment, You Shall Not Steal. I will read the question, congregation, please respond with the answer. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? He forbids not only outright theft and robbery, which governing authorities punish, but in God's sight, theft also includes all evil tricks and schemes designed to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, God forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? That I do whatever I can and may for my neighbor's good. That I treat others as I would like them to treat me. And that I work faithfully so that I may help the needy in their hardship. 
us pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that we would hear the word preached and taught and that your spirit would apply that word to us. That we would receive it and walk in a manner worthy of it. May we, O Lord, be reminded of your law. May we be reminded of the calling in our lives. And may we be reminded of the Christ, our Lord, who paid for every one of our sins so that we, O Lord, are forgiven and free. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation of Christ, we now come to the meaning and application of the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. God wills that a person's property and possessions be protected and that the crime of theft be curbed. It is important, congregation, that we know that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything really belongs to God. And so, as the other commandments, the previous commandments, point to God's nature or character, this too points to God's character and nature. God alone is sovereign. God alone possesses all things completely, entirely. He alone has eminent domain. We possess things relatively. He possesses them absolutely. We are stewards, tenants of the Lord's property, because only God alone is sovereign. This shapes the way that we understand and apply the Eighth Commandment with gratitude. With gratitude. Being grateful to God for His gifts to us. Learning to be content with what God has granted to us. This evening's scripture text is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, where Paul says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Paul is going to apply this commandment, the eighth commandment. He doesn't do away with the law, does he? The law is still applicable. But he's teaching the Christians in Ephesus and he's teaching us that the person who is a new creation in Christ, the person who has new life in Christ, ought to walk differently. Ought to walk differently. Let the thief no longer steal. And so firstly... Steal no more, he's saying to the the church in Ephesus. Steal no more. The tense of this verb is in the present. So there are people within the church at Ephesus who are thieves. We can literally translate it. The one who is stealing, stop it. Stop it. Steal no more. Paul warns the people in the church of Ephesus who were stealing because this is antithetical. It's contrary to the new way of life in Jesus Christ. 
He says earlier in verse 20, don't be like the Gentiles. Why? That is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To steal is to walk like the world and walk unworthily before the Lord. And the Catechism rightly teaches that theft or stealing takes different forms. There is what the Catechism speaks of, the outright theft and robbery. In biblical times, there was man-stealing, kidnapping, taking your brother or sister as a slave. And kidnapping was punishable by death. It was a grave sin in Israel. Slavery is a grave sin. There was a stealing of one's cattle or livestock, possessions and livelihood. There's a stealing of one's land or property. In 1 Kings chapter 21, you may recall Ahab coveted Naboth's vineyard, wanted it so bad because it was adjacent to the, to the king's palace, to, to his land, and he wanted this land that was next to his a fruitful land, and Naboth's like, no, no, this is my family's land, you can't have it. And so Ahab's wife, Jezebel, what does she do? She plots Nahab's death, or Naboth's death, so that her husband can possess the vineyard. They wanted it so much, they wanted to steal the land so much, that they killed Naboth. For it. God gives the eighth commandment to curb theft, to protect possession. This is even illustrated in our own constitution in this land. James Madison, when he wrote the Bill of Rights and the, the Fifth Amendment, it speaks to this. James Madison wrote in part that no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. This is the definition of eminent domain. And so they knew, Madison and the founders knew, of this biblical law, this biblical teaching, that you don't take what is not yours. It's embedded in natural law because the God of natural law declares it as such. Of all the crises in our culture in this country, isn't this commandment the one that is in the spotlight? In major cities, there's lawlessness everywhere. How about flash mobs that break into huge department stores or, or mom-and-pop stores stealing what is not theirs? And when there's very little effort to prosecute thieves, there's no way to curb the crime of theft because thieves feel emboldened. They then have a license to steal if they're not going to be prosecuted. 
I think in many respects that's why the catechism states then that God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, which governing authorities punish. I remember uh, R.C. Sproul, you probably heard this story before. He was asked, you know, how do you teach, you know, somebody who doesn't know God um, that he's a sinner or, he's, or that she's a sinner? And R.C. Sproul said, just take his wallet. Steal from your neighbor and you'll know, he'll know what sin is. However, there's... Less, there are less obvious forms of theft that God also forbids. I think we can come to a consensus that, yeah, outright theft and robbery, that's pretty clear. I get that. It's more concrete. But what about those other deceptive forms of theft? Catechism says all evil or deceptive tricks and schemes designed to meet to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate, appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, God forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts, namely referring to gambling. In other words, you take shortcuts. Do I take shortcuts for greedy gain? Am I going to go download that pirated movie or video game? Oh, it's not going to hurt anybody. How about stealing somebody's ideas? Plagiarism, or stealing somebody's idea at school, stealing one's intellectual property. These are all forms of theft. You know, earlier in times, especially in biblical times, it was relatively easier to discern whether or not people were being deceitful in their business and economic dealings. In the past few centuries, however, you have big banks. You have the stock market. You have investors and investments. You have all those ways to invest your money. But how many of us are in the dark? Do you know the companies that you're investing in? If you put your money in IRAs, in stock markets, we're in the dark. Do we know what kind of thievery is going on? What kind of deception is going on? Things that appear legitimate. I get it. There will always be unknowns and uncertainties in life. There are thieves everywhere. I get it. Christians, however, are left in the dark about companies that we may invest in or put our money in or entrust others to put our money in. That's why we need Christians in this vocation. Christians need other Christians in the private sector of economics and business to help other Christians sort through the many unknowns, 
so that we are doing what is honest, that we are people of integrity, that we are with our money, we're not being hypocritical to the best of our knowledge. Gifted Christians can assist us and point us to reputable, honest, and biblically aware investors, bankers, etc. You see, this idea of theft, this teaching of theft, takes many forms. Young people, it takes many forms. In school, when you take what is not yours, when you cheat, it's a form of stealing What about your business practices and dealings? Does your faith inform your business dealings? If you're taking notes, James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. The rich abusing their power and taking and not paying adequate wages to the poor, to their workers. Steal no more, Paul says. Let the thief no longer steal. God forbids all forms of theft because stealing from our neighbor is to steal from God himself who owns everything. It is a take what is not ours. Rather, Paul says, look with me in your Bible, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Steal no more. Now work hard. Work hard. I was thinking about this, and now I'm preaching to the choir. I've heard about the Dutch work ethic. Or I should say the Christian work ethic, right? It's a Christian work ethic. Paul says, let him labor. The word labor is actually in the imperative. It's a command. And it's a different word that's used just a few words later, work. The word labor, the command, has to do with laboring intensely, laboring hard putting your hand to the plow and working till you sweat. As the songwriter penned, she worked hard for the money. Work hard. Work hard. I realize I probably aged myself there. Paul commands thieves to stop taking what they did not earn and get to work doing honest work with your own hands. God calls us to be financially responsible in order to be self-sustaining and to care for our families. Turn with me in your Bible to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Beginning at verse 1. 
Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things we, have co- we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor do we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. He who will not work shall not eat. Take note what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that he who can't work shall not eat. There's a big difference, isn't there? There's a big difference. But this message that the Apostle Paul gives is a message for today. Where there's very little work ethic. And in general, people feel entitled to money, entitled to possessions, entitled and feel like they have the right to have your stuff. I don't go on TikTok. I'm not a TikTok person. I'm not a social media person. But I was captivated by an article of a TikTok influencer. Influencer. So our senior saints may want to talk to young people about what a TikTok influencer is. But this person spoke about how she graduated college And she was crying for weeks because she found a nine-to-five job and she had to work. She publicly put herself out there on video for the world to see that a nine-to-five job was torturous for her. She had no time for herself. But this this is the climate today. This is the climate today. We think we're entitled to things. Perhaps we're that way in the church. We think we're entitled to things. I'm entitled to have certain privileges that are not mine. How about, for example, countries handing out money without accountability? People think and believe they have the right to other people's money. 
They may not take out rightly other people's money, but they use evil and deceitful schemes to get it. That's what communism is. The state, earlier I said that God is sovereign. God protects us through this commandment, a person's property, and to curb theft. Well, who replaces God in communism? The state. The state is sovereign. And the Hebrew Christians knew what that was like when they suffered the taking of their property and possessions because they were Christians. But they rejoiced because they had a possession in heaven. They were citizens of a heavenly city that they longed for. Earlier I said that Paul doesn't say that those who can't work will not eat. He doesn't say that because there are times when that is, it is not possible for a person to work. It is not possible for a person to work. For example, the head of the home may be injured in a work accident. The breadwinner of the home is injured and can't support his family. Or how about those who, for any, not any fault of their own, they'll be in need because of some reason or another. What then? What then? Should they go out and steal? Should they go out and steal? No. You look to the body of Christ. We have one another. Because what does Paul say? Listen, look at me again, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, labor vigorously, work hard, doing honest work with his own hands, so that, purpose, that's a purpose clause, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Ah, steal no more, work hard. Why? Giving to others in need. So that you are no longer a taker of what doesn't belong to you. You are now a giver because you have received an honest man's wage and now you can give to the brother or sister who cannot meet his or her needs. Paul beautifully lays it out here. What the congregation of Christ, the community of faith, should look like. When you're in your jobs, your employers should see us, wow, he or she works hard. He or she works hard. He does not steal my time on his his, smartphone. Yes, boys and girls, that's stealing time from your employer. There's a time and place for that. It's called break or lunch. Steal no more. Work hard so that give, give to those in need. 
Because we are new creations in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. I cannot, I cannot reiterate and, and reference that verse enough. Because we need to know who we are in Jesus. We have received grace and mercy. We have been called to a holy calling, which means that we walk worthy of the calling. And the new life demands that we walk differently than the world. If your co-workers want to steal your employer's time, that's up to them. But you're accountable to yourself before God. I'm accountable to my elders for my time. We are commanded to honor and thank God for His gifts to us. And we shouldn't take what is not ours. God calls us to work hard, to detest slothfulness, for what purpose? For what purpose work hard? To build bigger barns? To buy bigger cars? Bigger boats? Bigger gadgets? I'm not saying those things are evil. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we, we, should, we can't do that. But what does Paul say here? What does he direct our attention to? Are the needs of the saints being met? That's the number one priority. Work hard so that you have something to share. Or better yet, the, a better translation would be that you have something to impart to those in need. Don't be a taker, be a giver. Because Christ gave himself for us freely. He gave himself to cleanse us, to sanctify us, to make us whole and new by his work, we are made righteous in his sight. We are called to a holy calling. His work brings blessing and mercy to those who acknowledge and know their need for redemption. So work hard so that you may be a blessing to others. Impart to others. That is, offer something so that a change of Ownership takes place. That's what that word impart means. Impart means. It's like a change of hands, a change of ownership. What I have now, I give to you. It now belongs to you. You don't have to steal it from me. You don't have to take it from me. I'm generously, graciously giving it to you because of what God graciously did for me in Jesus. Congregation, let us be content with and thankful for God's blessings and resources. In either riches or poverty, contentment and gratitude direct our attention to the giver of every good and perfect gift, namely our Father of lights. And with those gifts, we bless others. And so that means we must beware of the love of money. Not money itself, but the love of money. Beware of greed, covetousness, envy, and jealousy of our neighbor's possessions. God warns those who are greedy for gain at anyone's expense, even stealing from his fellow man. Paul says to Timothy, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. I love that. Meditate upon that. Meditate upon that and think and pray, Lord, what does that mean then for me and my possessions? 
They're yours. They belong to you. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. One commentator wrote, The love of money has caused people to sell their honor, their friends, their country, their own bodies. And so what does God require of you and me? That I do whatever I can and may, and may for my neighbor's good, that I treat others as I would like them to treat me, the golden rule, and that I work faithfully so that I may help the needy in their hardship. Many years ago, when I was at Moody Bible Institute, I heard a pastor tell of a story of a man who was in prison for theft. And after he was released, he became a Christian in the prison system, was released, and he went to a church on the following Sunday he was released. And this church in the back of the sanctuary, when you would leave the sanctuary, there would be a sign that says, go and sin no more, and it had the Ten Commandments. And so as he was reading, he saw the, the, the sign, go and sin no more, and he came to, you shall not steal. And immediately his heart fell to the ground. And he felt guilty again. And then the inmate gave testimony of how the Lord took that commandment and taught him that, yes, Jesus even died for that. Yes, I was a thief, but I am no more. By the grace, by the grace of God. And so though his heart fell at first, and he felt guilt, God, the Holy Spirit, spoke the gospel to his heart. Let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Steal no more, work hard, give to those in need. In doing so, we show our gratitude to God for his mercy and grace in Jesus Christ, and we show our love for our fellow neighbor. Turn with me in your songbook to 538. Notice this hymn, I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's a prayer. Lord, take my life, let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse 
of thy love. Lord, take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my silver, Lord, and my gold. In other words, take my possessions. Not a mite would I withhold, O Lord. O Lord, may I not withhold. May I graciously give. Lord, take my will. Make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. May my will, O Lord, be conformed to your will. May I not steal in all its various forms, but respect and honor and love my neighbor. May I show integrity to my neighbor, and especially before your face, O God. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself, and I will be ever only all for thee, ever only all for thee. Lord, take my whole being. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you asking, Lord, that you would indeed take our hands and our hearts, our wills, our labors, our money, our possessions, and use all of it, Lord, in service to you and your kingdom. Teach us and shape us to love our neighbor, to be givers and not takers. Knowing that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, knowing that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, we are merely tenants. We are servants. We are stewards. Everything belongs to you because you are sovereign. And so help us, we pray, to glorify you in the way in which we interact with our neighbor, in the way we bless our neighbor, and not steal from them. In Jesus' name we pray.